Hello, Christ community. Greetings to our West Campus that meets at Northridge High School uh, on Sundays. Man, you guys are rocking it out there. I was there uh, live last week and uh, just love being out there and love what you guys are doing. So uh, greetings to you. Greetings also to our traditions venue. Uh, So glad all of you are here. Before we jump into the message, I wanted to take a couple minutes and give uh, an update kind of in a specific area of our For the City and Beyond vision, which we began a year and a half ago. So many of you are investing financially in this vision, and we are so thankful. Thank you for your your generosity. Um, We are are, um, excited about all that that God is doing. The heartbeat of this vision for For the City and Beyond is to move towards the lost and the broken and the hurting people in our city and our world. And one of the huge areas of passion in my heart and our heart is for the emotionally broken all around us. So many people battle with anxiety and depression and addictions. I mean, every week I'm getting emails, multiple people on my prayer list. I'm praying for about these. I mean, just, it's a, it's a continuous, it's just a huge issue. And often people battling with these things feel alone and we don't want them to feel alone. And so we put together a team at the start of For the City and Beyond, we, 18 months ago, we put together a team of people just to dream and to pray and envision what could be a better, how could we do better going, come, just coming alongside of people in these places of pain? And out of that has come what we are calling a new ministry. We're calling Paths to Hope. And our goal in Paths to Hope is to connect hurting people with someone who can walk alongside them in this journey towards healing. So it's not intended to be professional counseling. Rather, it's walking along alongside someone who is hurting. So right now, we are looking for people with a passion to help the hurting. We're going to provide training for you to help you grow as a caregiver. There's an informational meeting this Tuesday. September 12th, if you're interested in being a a people helper um, for the emotionally broken, then please come to that informational meeting this Tuesday just to hear more about that. Again, we as a church want to be for the emotionally broken in our community. And by the way, there is a sheet in the lobby in the For the City and Beyond area, both campuses, where that has specific prayer requests. This is an update. It just came out this week. Specific prayer requests for each area of this whole vision. And so if you want to get an update kind of on what's happening in the vision and also how you can pray for it, we encourage you to pick up that sheet. We need to pray for God to continue to use us as a church to be for our city, for the needs in our community and around the world. Now, speaking of prayer, we are starting a new teaching series today on this very subject. For the next three weeks, we're going to dive into chapter Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, where Jesus specifically addresses the subject of prayer. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, you may want to feel free to turn to Luke chapter 11. And what I love about this passage is how the subject of prayer comes up. It is not a situation where Jesus is kind of doing teaching on a bunch of stuff, and he says, oh, by the way, let me teach you about prayer. You know, that's not how it happens. In this passage, there is a specific reason the subject of prayer comes up. Look look with me at Luke 11, beginning in verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So the reason the subject of prayer even comes up is because Jesus prayed. Jesus had a vibrant, powerful prayer life. And the disciples see this 
and they want to experience it, experience it as well. It's not like they never prayed. I mean, they did. As Jews, the disciples did pray, but they didn't experience the vibrant, powerful praying that Jesus did. And so they ask him to teach them to pray like he prayed. They wanted the kind of life, prayer life, that Jesus had. So what about you and me? What about you and me? When we think about our experience of prayer, do we long for a more dynamic, vibrant experience of prayer? A prayer life like Jesus had. That'd be cool. Well, if we do long for that, Jesus would love to teach us how to pray. He's very willing to help us grow in prayer, to help us learn how to pray like he prayed, which is exactly what he does in this passage. He teaches us how to pray like he prayed. Now, now here's the, here's the challenge. The, the, the prayer that Jesus prayed, this prayer that Jesus prayed here, it's often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And it's a very familiar prayer. Many of us grew up reciting this prayer in church, right? Or it's a prayer that it's prayed in many, many churches all across the United States and around the world every week, right? It's, it's, it's prayed by players before a football game in many different places, right? And because of that, this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is often viewed by us as sort of being a beginner's prayer, you know, kind of prayer 101, you know, when you're just learning to, prayer, to pray, when you're just learning how to pray, you can use this prayer. But no, 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 no. The Lord's Prayer is not Prayer 101. It is not a beginner's prayer. The Lord's Prayer shows us how Jesus prayed. It shows us how Jesus prays. It shows us the critical elements in a healthy, vibrant prayer life for all of us including those of us who are just kind of learning how to pray, as well as those of us who have been praying for years. And so I want us to slow down in this section so that we have time to let this prayer of Jesus significantly impact our prayer lives. We're going to look at the first half of the Lord's Prayer today and then the second half of it next week. And I really believe that as we intentionally implement into our prayer lives what this prayer represents, it will be life-changing. Our prayer life will never be the same. So let's look at what Jesus says in response to this disciple's request to learn how to pray or to teach them how to pray. Luke 11, beginning in verse 2. And why don't we read this out loud together? <clears throat> he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. This is God's word. Now, it's amazing what Jesus packed into this prayer. Now, you may have noticed that the Luke's version is slightly, slightly different than the version that is often recited in church services. The one that's often recited in other places is found in the book of Matthew. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 14. You can check it out later if you'd like to do that. Luke's version is kind of the bare bones version, whereas Matthew includes some other elements. But we're going to stick to Luke's version here in our, in our time here. Where Jesus begins this prayer is critically important to a healthy prayer life. Jesus begins here by saying, when you pray, say, Father. Now this address 
would have been absolutely shocking to our initial hearers. Jews in that day would never refer to God as Father. They wouldn't even pronounce the name of God in the Old Testament because it was too holy. When approaching God in prayer, they, they approached him as master of the universe. But Jesus says, hey, when you pray, I'm teaching you how to pray. When you pray, address God as Father. Address him in this personal way because it is a reflection of his heart towards you. Now, the image that this creates is, is that of a little girl or a little boy crawling up in the lap of his or her daddy. It's this place of love, this place of security. Now, now I realize that we may not have experienced our earthly father in that way, and so it may be kind of hard for us to envision God as a healthy, loving father, but he is. He is. Because of our faith in Jesus, we are sons and daughters of God. He is our Father, our loving and perfect and holy Father. In, in his excellent book, Moving Mountains, uh, John Eldridge came out a year and a half ago. It's a really, really good book on prayer. John Eldridge, Moving Mountains is the book. Eldridge describes how we often approach God as either servants or orphans rather than sons and daughters. We approach God as servants or orphans rather than sons and daughters, which has a huge impact upon our prayer life. See, a servant is reluctant to pray, right? A servant feels like they, they really have no right to ask, right? They have no status, so they have no right to ask. They have no right to bother their master. So a servant is sort of hesitant to pray. Or if they do pray, they kind of keep their prayers very modest and very respectful, now, an orphan, on the other hand, an orphan is not reluctant to pray, not at all. They feel desperate, but their prayers feel more like begging, right? They're, 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 they feel more like begging than anything else. They're, they ask for scraps. They expect scraps. They ask for scraps. But we are not orphans, and we are not simply servants of God. We are beloved sons and daughters. So what is the heart of a loving father toward his sons and daughters. Well, later in the book of Luke, we'll get here eventually, but in Luke 15, Jesus tells us exactly, a story he tells about a father of two sons. He says exactly what the father's heart is. The father says to us, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. I mean, that is God's heart toward us as his sons and daughters. Everything I have is yours. I mean, when my older kids are home for a visit, when they come visiting, I mean, that's pretty much Raylene and my attitude, right? I mean, everything is yours. Yeah, whatever's in the fridge, that's yours. You know, you can have it. You need the car. Yeah, here are the keys. You need a pair of socks. Absolutely take mine, you know. Oh, yeah, you can absolutely have that book if you want. I mean, in any situation, right, beyond just when they visit, in any situation, when my kids ask for something, I'm going to move heaven and earth to try and make that happen. And every parent understands this. Every parent understands this. And Jesus is saying, when you pray, when you pray, I want you to realize that that same posture is God's heart toward you. He is your father. He loves you. His heart and his attention are towards you. He is not too busy. He is not too preoccupied. He wants you to come to him and to ask, and he loves to say yes. Everything he has is yours. So let me just ask, when you come to God in prayer, do you envision him as a distant 
uncaring master who is sort of too busy running the universe to really bother with you? Or do you envision him as your loving dad whose ear and whose heart are always turned towards you? That's a really important question. That is a really important question that will make a huge impact, make a huge difference in how earnestly and how often we pray. Really, that's a huge, how we envision God, huge difference in terms of how earnestly and how often we pray. So a few years ago, I was, I was trying to think of a way to make this experience of God as my father, make it kind of more real in my own prayer time. And so I started pulling up a chair in front of me when I prayed. I pulled a big chair up, right? A big chair. Just to remind me that God is here. He's here and he loves me. And so I've, I've tried to con continue that practice when I, when I pray. So a few weeks ago, when I was beginning my prayer time, I kind of turned the chair around and I got it in place and started to pray, but my heart just was not there. My heart wasn't there. I was feeling pretty discouraged about an area in my life, and I just felt like a failure. And, and uh, so, so as I was starting to pray with this big empty chair in front of me, representing God's presence with me, right? I started to pray, and I was feeling discouraging. And as I was in this situation, I had this thought, I'm going to sit in that chair. I'd never done that before. I'm going to sit in that chair because I want, I need Right now, I need to be enveloped in my father's love, in my father's presence. So I did. <laughs> I got off of my chair and I, I sat in that chair. I just sat there and just kind of let him love me. I let him be my dad for a few minutes there, just experiencing him as that way, in that way. Now, I'm not saying you have to have a chair in front of you, but, but, but I do believe it, it's, it's critically important to begin our prayers with this experience of our Abba Father, where in some way, and in some way, it could be any number of ways, but in some way, we stop at that point, we stop and remind our soul, you are loved by the God of the universe. You are loved by God. He is your Father, and He is here. He is for you. Your identity and your value are not wrapped up in your successes or your failures. No, no, no. Because of Jesus, you are a beloved son. You are a beloved daughter. See, our soul needs that reminder every time we pray. It needs that reminder. And that one reality, that one reality can dramatically impact our motivation in prayer and our confidence in prayer. We are not orphans begging for scraps. We are sons and daughters. We, we are praying out of this foundation of a love relationship with God. It's huge. That's why Jesus begins there. It's huge. So after addressing God as Father, <clears throat> Jesus then prays, Hallowed be your name. Now this is very, very significant. In this statement, Jesus expands, he expands his perspective of God. Yes, God is our loving father, but he is so much more than that. Hallowed be your name. Now God's name represents his character, who he is. 
His name represents who he is. He's good, right? And he's merciful, and he is compassionate, and he is powerful, and he is sovereign, and he is our healer, and he is our life, and he is our redeemer. All of these things are represented by the name of God. And you can look at the names of God in the, in the scriptures, and all of them represent an aspect of his character. And so Jesus takes these wonderful attributes of God, your name, he takes these wonderful attributes of God, and then he adds the word hallowed. Hallowed. Now that's a really religious sounding word, right? It's kind of intimidating. We don't use it much or at all unless we're reciting the Lord's Prayer, right? It's a religious sounding word, but it is so powerful. Don't be turned off by this word because it, it is so powerful. The word hallowed comes from the word holy. So another way to say this would be, may your name be honored as holy. May your character be honored as holy, which, which steps up everything a significant notch because the word holy, this is really important here, the word holy qualifies every other attribute of God. See, the word holy means perfect. It means set apart. It, it, it's, it's, like, it, it's like a superlative for every attribute. So God's love is a holy love, and his mercy is a holy mercy, and his lordship is a holy lordship. Every attribute of God is whole. It is complete. It is set apart. So when Jesus says, hallowed be your name, he is teaching us to take time in our prayers to express praise to God, to declare the wonder of who he is, to focus our heart on the wonder of who he is, and to declare that. That's what praise is, right? It's, it's stopping in our prayer. I mean, it's a part of our prayer, but it's, it's after the Father thing. Then it's this God, you are, you are holy, and you are perfect, and you are glorious, and you are, you are majestic, and you are loving, and you are sovereign. Everything about you is off the charts. That's what holy means. <laughs> Everything about you is exponentially increased. It's off the charts. Everything about you is complete. It's perfect, unlike anything on earth. You alone are holy. You alone are holy. You are worthy of our praise. Now, again, it is no coincidence that Jesus puts this, Father, hallowed be your name, right at the front of the Lord's prayer. See, this is where vibrant, powerful praying must begin, not with our needs, but with who God is, where we take time to focus our hearts and our minds on the fact that God is our Father, and then we take time to express our praise to his holy attributes. When those realities, these first two realities we're talking about here, when those are established in our soul in prayer, which is why Jesus, whenever you pray, pray this way. He wants these to be established every time we pray, established in here. When these realities are established in our soul in prayer, watch out. Because some powerful praying can begin to happen. Seriously. 
Some really powerful praying can begin to happen because we're not coming to this uncaring, distant being, pleading with him to pay attention to us. And we're not coming to the gods of Greek mythology who are so messed up with their own issues. You know, we we are coming to a God who is perfect and he is complete and he is powerful and he has adopted us as his sons and daughters. He has adopted us into his family as his sons and daughters. Whenever we pray, this is the foundation we want to start from and we want to build upon. Every time we pray, we want to start here and build upon this, resting in God as our heavenly father and praising him for the glory of who he is, which naturally leads to the third statement Jesus makes in this prayer. And this one statement, this next statement here, when we truly grasp it, is a total game changer. It's a total game changer. It will dramatically impact the way we view our prayers. Look at what Jesus says next in verse two. Your kingdom come. Three words. Your kingdom come. Now to understand this, we have to understand the concept of the kingdom from Jesus' perspective, because he talked about it all the time, right? The kingdom, was, the kingdom of God was a huge issue for Jesus. Jesus' primary message was about the kingdom of God. It's everywhere in, in his teaching. It's everywhere. And it, he's talking about the kingdom of God, what life looks like under the reign and the rule of God. That's what the word kingdom means. It's, it's what life looks like when God is king. The kingdom of God is what life looks like when God is king. Now, unfortunately, really unfortunately, we often hear this word. When we hear this word, we automatically think Jesus is talking about heaven. About one day, you know, one day in the future when we'll be under God's rule in heaven. But that's not what he's talking about. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. He was talking about how the kingdom operates in the here and now. So Jesus told stories about the kingdom. We call them parables. He told these stories about the kingdom and they reveal the principles and the priorities of the kingdom. And then when Jesus preached, he invited people to be people of the kingdom, not just to be people whose sins are forgiven and they're going to heaven. No, he invited them to be people of the kingdom, people who, who reflect, whose lives reflect the values of the kingdom. And then when Jesus cast out demons and he healed the sick. He told us that these things were evidence that God's kingdom is here. So with all that in mind, now let's go back to Jesus' prayer. Your kingdom come. This is not a prayer for the second coming of Jesus. This is not a prayer for heaven. No, this is a prayer for the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God to come and manifest itself in specific places where the darkness and disease and the devastation of the enemy have taken hold. I mean, these three words are of immense significance. Jesus is actually urging us here to invite and to invoke the glory and the power of God's kingdom into the darkness that is all around us right here and right now. This is a prayer for God's kingdom and rule to immediately influence situations and circumstances all around us. Places where Satan has had his way for a really, really long time, but not anymore. 
Once Jesus died and he rose from the dead, everything changed. See, Jesus' kingdom is advancing, and guess who is a critical part of that advancement? You and me. You and me. You see, this prayer, your kingdom come, is a battle cry. It is a battle cry. It is an invitation for us to partner with God in seeing his kingdom come to this earth. Yeah, this is huge. I mean, and, and, and this, 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 totally, this totally blows up this insidious notion that kind of creeps into our lives and our hearts. All of us are vulnerable, me too, but it, this insidious notion that our prayers don't really make a difference. So why pray? God is going to do what he wants to do anyway, so why pray? Right? It's just this insidious thing that we don't want to pray, right? Our prayers don't make a difference. He's going to do what he wants anyway, so why pray? Here's the deal. Your prayers do matter. Your prayers can actually usher in the kingdom of God into situations. And without your prayers, it won't happen. Now, please hear me. I am a firm believer in the sovereignty of God. I am that God is sovereignly working his plan. I believe in the sovereignty of God and all of that. But I do not believe, I do not believe that God's sovereignty turns us into robots so that our actions are somehow predetermined. Because if that's the case, nothing we do matters. Nothing we do matters, which doesn't really fit at all the teaching and the examples in Scripture. I mean, check out James 5, 16 to 17. Look at this passage. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. See, clearly, Elijah's prayers mattered. They mattered, right? They, they were powerful, and they were effective, it says. He was partnering with God. Things were happening. God wanted it to happen, but it was, it was because of Elijah's prayers. And did you notice that little phrase there? Elijah was a human being, just like us, even as we are. In other words, the point is, our prayers matter. Our prayers matter. We pray because our prayers matter, right? That's why we pray. Our prayers have the power to influence things and change things and to usher in the kingdom of God into situations where Satan is doing his thing. In fact, earlier in the book, James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. It's not that, oh, God's just, he's sovereignly going to give you whatever, no matter what you do. No, it, it doesn't say that. You don't have because you don't ask. One of the most insidious and powerful lies the enemy wants us to believe is that our prayers don't matter. Our prayers don't matter. That God's going to do what he's going to do anyway. And so prayer is basically meaningless, according to that. But nothing could be further from the truth. Why would Jesus teach us to pray, your kingdom come, if that was going to happen anyway? Why teach us your kingdom come, to pray, your kingdom come, if that was going to happen anyway? I mean, we, we dare not miss this truth. This, your kingdom come prayer is a reminder. It's a reminder that in prayer, we are actually partnering with God 
in seeing his kingdom come to earth. We're partnering with God. Our prayers are a key part of his kingdom advancing. He's still on the throne. He's still sovereign. But I'm just telling you, you can't read scripture any other way. Our prayers matter. Our prayers are a part of his sovereign movement, of a prayer, a part of his kingdom advancing in, in, in influencing situations. We are partnering with him. I mean, talk about transforming our prayer lives. Imagine if you could influence the situations around you so that God's kingdom would be more evident. Imagine that. I mean, if we really believe that, we'd be praying for every school we drove past. We'd be praying for our neighbors every time we drove down the street. We'd be praying for people at work. We'd be praying for marriages that are in crisis. Friends of ours, we know that marriages are in crisis. We'd be praying for healing over our friend with cancer. I mean, to think that in prayer, we get to partner with God in the advancing of his kingdom and his power and his heart. I mean, why wouldn't we want to get in on that? Why wouldn't we want to get in on that wherever we can? Our meek and mild, Lord bless so-and-so prayers, they pale in comparison to what God invites us to engage in. They pale in comparison to what God is inviting us to engage in. So, So if we find ourselves praying less and less, and we've all been there, if we find ourselves praying less and less, it may reveal that we don't really believe that our prayers matter. And so Jesus wants to remind us they do matter. They do matter. Our prayers are an opportunity to partner with God in the advancement of his kingdom, of his truth and freedom and life into the darkness all around us. In fact, it's almost as if, it's almost as if the the whole first half of this prayer that we've been looking at here It's like the first half of this prayer is intentionally designed to stir our faith. It's intentionally designed to stir our faith. We all know that faith is important in prayer. You can go to plenty of other verses that talk about the importance of faith here. So notice, notice how how Jesus begins. By urging us to focus not on ourselves, but on God. Faith is never stirred when we focus on ourselves. (laughs) Our faith is never stirred when we focus on ourselves, when we focus on our situation. Faith is always stirred by focusing on God, which is why for some of us, our prayer lives may feel like they're kind of on life support. And the reason is because all we focus on in prayer is ourselves and our needs. Now, as we're going to see next week, there is a place for that in the Lord's Prayer, but it is not where powerful praying begins. Powerful praying, praying like Jesus prayed, powerful praying begins with God. And as Jesus shows us here, focusing on who God is as our loving Father and praising him as the holy and powerful one who sits on the throne of the universe and then looking for places where his kingdom is desperately needed and boldly inviting and invoking his kingdom into those situations. 
See, this is the foundation for transformative, powerful praying. In the movie The Hobbit, there's a scene where the evil dragon, Smog, is unleashing his fiery fury into kind of on the village of Lake Town. And everyone, while everyone else is running for cover, one man dares to rise against him, the bowman Bard. Bard climbs to the top of this bell tower and he begins to fire arrows at, at, at the beast, but they all bounce off. They all bounce off ineffectively. And at one point, his son, Bard's son, Bane, rushes up the tower to give his dad the black arrow, which is the only weapon that will work against the dragon. But Smog, the dragon, suspects something is up, and he sets his focus on Bard and on Bane, mocking them as he begins his final assault. And I want us to watch this scene and notice, I want you to, as you watch it, notice what the father Bard says to his son when it looks like all is lost. Let's watch this. Is that your child? You cannot save him from the fire. He will burn. Tell me, wretch, how now shall you challenge me? You have nothing left but your death. dragon is defeated. How? Did you notice? It was by this partnership between father and son. The father says, move to your left. Move to your left a little. They're working together. But it's not an equal partnership. I mean, the father is clearly owning the weight of the battle. So, so right when it looks like all hope is gone, when it looks like their horrible circumstances will take them down, what does the father say Calmly, what does the father calmly say to his son? Bane, look at me. Don't look at the dragon. Don't look at the evil coming our way. I want you to look at me. See, that's, that's a powerful picture of the kind of praying God invites us into in the first half of the Lord's Prayer. In the midst of circumstances that may feel overwhelming and discouraging, God the Father says to us, don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at the enemy's victories or listen to his mocking. Don't let discouragement take hold. No, 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 no. Look at me, God says. Focus 
on my love for you. I'm your father. Focus on my holiness and my power by hallowing my name and then look at where my kingdom is needed and partner with me by earnestly praying that into reality. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Amen. So we're, we're going to respond. We're going to practice together what we're learning about prayer. We're kind of into response and practice around here. And so we're going to take a couple minutes here and practice what we've just been learning about. Now, let me just say, I like to say this most every week, that if you're here and you're an atheist, you're an agnostic, you don't really believe in God, you're just exploring this stuff, that's totally cool. We are so glad you're here. And we do not want you to feel pressured in any way to participate, to practice. You can if you want, but we don't feel any pressure. But for the, us, us who are believers in Jesus, we believe this stuff is real and we want to grow in it. And so we want to not just get head information. We want to practice what we're learning together. And so, so we're going to respond to this message in a couple specific ways, congregationally and also personally. So this is a prayer that we can engage in together as a family this kind of prayer as God's children. So, so at a couple moments here, we're, we're, we're going to declare out loud together some of the truths that we've heard in prayer. And we're not alone in this. And we did this as we were planning the service. We intentionally wanted times of congregational response because we wanted this as we're doing that, as we're praying out loud together, we wanted to encourage us to look at the faces and the people around you. Listen to their voices and remember that we are together on this journey of deepening prayer. We're not alone, we're together. But this prayer is also something we want to engage in personally as a son or daughter of God. And so we're going to take time to do that as well. So we're going to walk through the three aspects of praying that Jesus taught us to pray today. And we're going to respond together and then individually. So let's start with Father, <clears throat> Father. And I want us to pray. Let's pray a prayer that is focused on God as Father. So let's pray this prayer. Words are on the screen here. Let's pray this out loud together. We acknowledge you as our Father. We don't come to you as orphans begging for your attention. We don't come to you as lowly servants, unworthy to make a request. We come to you as your beloved sons and daughters. Your heart is toward us and is for us. Everything you have is ours. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being our heavenly father. Okay. Now, I want us to just quiet our hearts. Now, we're going to just have an individual response, a personal response to this. And here's, I want you to just, I want to ask a question, and I want you to sit in this. What, what does it mean to you that you are a beloved son or daughter of God? And how does that impact your desire to pray, knowing he is your father?
So just take a moment and just rest in this truth that when you pray, even right now, you are approaching God, your Father, whose heart is towards you. He's not too busy for you. Okay, now we're going to do the second part of this prayer. Hallowed be your name. So let's, again, we're going to begin by declaring out loud together. Listen to each other's voices here, right? Declaring out loud together God's praise. So here we go. Father, we honor your name as holy. We praise you for who you are. You are perfect and complete lacking in nothing. You are our glorious creator, our all-powerful king, our all-knowing and eternal Lord. We praise you and fix our gaze upon you. Okay, now let's make this personal. So again, you can close your eyes if you want. And I want you to think about this question just before the Lord here. What attribute of God are you most appreciative of right now? And when that comes to mind, take a moment right in the space and just in the quiet of your heart, express to God praise for that particular attribute. Okay, so let's just ask the Lord, just kind of sit in this. What attribute of God are you most appreciative of right now? So now just take a moment in the quiet of your heart. Just praise him for that. Maybe there's more than one, which is great, but just praise him for who he is. Okay, now we're going to transition to the third. And we're just trying to practice what it might look like to build a prayer life on these things. So practice the third one is your kingdom come. So again, let's open our eyes here. Let's pray together, out loud together as God's people. Father, we thank you that you invite us to partner with you in the advancement of your kingdom on earth. We boldly and confidently declare your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, now let's make it personal. You can close your eyes again if you want. And here's the question I want you to ask. Where is God's kingdom desperately needed in your life or in the life of someone you know? or in some part of the world. 
Just think about that. Where is God's kingdom? And you just feel it, where God's kingdom is desperately needed in the life of someone you know or some part of the world right now. So once you have that person in mind or that situation in mind, I want you to take a moment and just again in the quiet of your heart, boldly ask for God's kingdom to come into that situation. God, thank you that you hear these prayers. Hundreds of prayers here for your kingdom to come in people's lives and circumstances and situations, for your rule and your reign to come, for you to drive back the darkness and bring life and healing and wholeness. Thank you that in prayer you invite us to partner with you in the advancement of your kingdom. And I pray for all of us here as we, as we incorporate into our prayer lives how you pray to Jesus. This is how you pray. Thank you for teaching us these things. And we, we just want to grow in our prayer life so that we would pray like you prayed. And so help all of us grow in this experience of you as Father and this experience of praise and hallowed be your name and then your kingdom come, God. That these things would fill our prayer lives and inspire and encourage us in prayer. So we thank you for being a God who wants us to pray and wants to teach us to pray. All right, so we're going to continue to just respond by praising this amazing God. Sometimes songs give us, a, a, um, they enable us to communicate some of these things on our hearts just about who God is. And so we're going to do that right now. So why don't you stand, whatever campus you're at, let's begin standing. If at some point you want to sit down, that's totally cool. But we're going to begin standing. And Jesus, we ask you just to set us free. Set us free to worship. Thank you,